God is the God of a second chance. While we're not promised a second chance, I want you to think about the many times he's extended them to us. I think William Banks was correct when he wrote that honest and sober reflection compels the saint to speak of him as the God of the 999th chance. I'm so thankful today that I'm not God and I'm thankful that you're not God. You know why? Because we often write people off so quickly. Someone blows it. Someone messes up and we forever, we forever mark their names off of our list. We don't extend grace. We're quick to extend judgment and condemnation. Think about the story of Jonah we've been studying as we've journeyed along with him. Now think about, here's a guy who was called to go and preach to a city concerning judgment that God's going to bring. And what does he do? He goes the opposite direction. He gets in a boat headed the opposite direction. He totally disregards God's command. And and it seems that he believes he'd be better off dead than to go and preach to the Ninevites. Now, if we were honest, you know, God sent some things in his life and God worked in his life in wonderful ways. We're going to see more of that as we continue to study. But we would have probably sent the storm. Uh, We also might have had him uh, tossed over by the sailors into the sea. But if we were honest, we would then have the theme song from Jaws playing in the background as a great white shark came up and gobbled him down. Now, be honest about it. If we were God and we were dealing with this man named Jonah, isn't that the way we often deal with those who fail us and let us down? Now, we know that there are times when God does bring quick, swift, severe judgment. In the Bible, I think the story of Uzzah, you know, they're going along with the ark of God and the ark of God is about to fall. And Uzzah puts forth his hand to stop the ark of God from falling. And by the way, they weren't carrying it properly anyway, but he puts forth his hand and God strikes him dead on the spot. You read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 6. I think about the story of Achan and his sin over in Joshua chapter 7. As they go in and he sees these things and he takes and hides them. And you go back and read Joshua chapter 7 and see what that cost Achan and his family. In the New Testament, in the church, I think about two people, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, you'll find the story in Acts chapter 5. They're there and they lie to God. They sell a piece of property. They keep back some of the money, but they pretend they put forth that they're giving all of the money. And we know they come one by one and one by one they fall and they die and they take them out and they are buried. We know there are times when God brings swift, quick, severe judgment. But how many times does God grant Through his grace and mercy, a second chance. Now, we don't presume upon it. We don't deserve it. We're not promised a second chance. But how many times this played out in our own Christian life? Think about your own Christian life. If you're a believer today, think about how many times God has given you a second chance. I think one of the greatest examples in the Bible of a second chance is the life of the Apostle Peter. You know, Peter boasted to the Lord that he would never leave him. 
In fact, Peter says in Luke 22, 33, these words, he says, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Lord, I'm not going to leave you. I'll go with you to jail and I'll go with you to death. I'll go with you to a cross, Lord. But then we read just a short time later, he denies the Lord time and time and time again. How much are we like Peter? But you know what? God didn't wash his hands of Peter. He didn't say, I'm done with Peter. No, the Lord comes to him. You have the resurrected Lord Jesus in John 21. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Here's what it says. When they had dined, when they had eaten, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Now, Peter's a little bit different now. He's not very boastful. Here's what he says. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And then he says to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And it says, Peter was grieved. He was grieved because he said it in the third time, lovest thou me? And he said to the Lord these words, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus says unto him, feed my sheep. What a gracious, merciful, long suffering God we serve. How many of us would let Peter have it? How many of us would have marked his name off, washed our hands of him and said, you know what? He is done. But God comes and gives Peter a second chance. Now, when we left Jonah the last time in our study, we find that he's sitting in a pile of fish vomit. In fact, it's even worse than that. He was actually the fish vomit itself. Look in Jonah chapter two, the very last verse. It says the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. It's been asked and observed, who do you think was more relieved and thankful in that situation? The fish to be rid of Jonah or Jonah to be rid of the fish? I don't know. I think they both were relieved. But here he is. God had brought Jonah to an end of himself. God had brought him to the point where he cried out in repentance. He prayed from the belly of that fish. He cried out to God and God heard his cry and delivered him. But have you ever wondered what Jonah must have been thinking as he sat on the beach that day? He's just been delivered from this fish. I believe he was thankful to see the sunshine, don't you? I believe he was thankful to be able to breathe some fresh air, don't you? I can see him there in the water washing off uh, after he's been delivered from this belly of the fish. What do you think was going through his mind that day? Surely you would have to possibly imagine that he might be thinking that he was all washed up. He had rebelled against the Lord. He rebelled against God, his word and his will. He almost lost his life in the process. But in God's grace, his life has been spared. But what now? What does the future hold for a runaway prophet? What does the future hold for a runaway preacher? Surely the Lord is through with him as far as service was concerned, right? I mean, if he had been a member of our church... We'd be done with him. We'd never have him serve again, would we? I mean, look at how he failed. Look how low he went. Look at what a horrible testimony Jonah has. I don't want to represent me. I don't want to represent our church, right? Surely that's what God thought. 
But then I find God's word says differently. We think this way, one strike and you're out. You're done, you're through. You're too messy to deal with. It's too much trouble to help you. You're fish vomit, Jonah. You're done. We're done. That's final. That's why I say I'm thankful I'm not God. I'm thankful you're not God. Isaiah 55, 7 through 9 says this. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Listen, for my thoughts are not, not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. May I remind you again, beloved, the fish is not the hero of this story. Jonah is not even the hero of this story. God is the hero of this story. God is the hero of this book. God is always the hero. And what we find here this morning is another evidence of the marvelous grace of God. We know, if we were honest, how we would handle this disobedient, sorry, prophet named Jonah. But I want you to see how God handled him. Look at chapter 3, the first two verses. It says there, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. The second time saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Now that sounds familiar. Turn back to chapter 1. And look there in verses 1 and 2. Now, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Then chapter 3, after he's gone through all that he's gone through, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Then we notice these words. The second time. The second time. The word of the Lord came the second time. Now, wait a minute. You mean God's going to give Jonah a second chance? I mean, he really blew it the first time. Surely God could find somebody else. Surely somebody else is a better person to send than Jonah. Surely somebody else is the one that God's going to send. But then I see the grace of God. You see, the book of Jonah is not just about the grace of God to the Ninevites, although it is. He did extend his grace and mercy to those wicked people. It's also about the grace of God being extended to his servant, Jonah. Warren Wiersbe says something we all need to understand in here. He said this, God is more concerned about his workers than he is about their work. Let me say that again. God is more concerned about his workers than he is about their work. Why? For if the workers are what they ought to be, the work will be what it ought to be. He says throughout Jonah's time of rebellion, God was displeased with his servant, but he never deserted him. That's an awesome truth, beloved. Hear that, Christian. Listen, God doesn't just care about what you do for him. He cares for you as the doer. He doesn't just care about your service. He cares about you as his servant. He doesn't just care about your performance. He cares about you as a person. He doesn't just care about a checklist of do's and don'ts. He cares about your character. Yes, he cares about the work, but he cares about the worker. Believer, he's working in your life 
to make you more like his son, the Lord Jesus. Romans 8, 28, 29 says it this way. We know that all things work together for good to those, to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Listen, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Predestinate to do what? To be conformed to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God was concerned about reaching the Ninevites, but he was also concerned about reaching Jonah. Perhaps Jonah sat there that day on the beach and wondered if God would ever use him again. God had used him in the past, but Jonah had messed up big time. And God had spared his life, but would God ever use him in service again? You know, I think there may be some seated in this sanctuary today that may be wondering the very same thing. You've messed up. You've royally messed up. And maybe you feel like today that God has forever put you on the shelf and he has done using you. I mean, you've repented. You've turned from your wicked way. But you figure that God is through with you. I want you to hear these words again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. You see, God is the God of a second chance. And if we're honest, we'd have to say many times the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance and so on. James Boyce says it this way. Does God stoop? Does God stoop to use those who've rejected his commission? Who turned a deaf ear to his word? Pursued a course of determined disobedience? Does God use people like that? He says, yes, he does. If he did not, none of us could serve him. Think about that. None of us could serve him. I couldn't serve him. You couldn't serve him. Who among us would stand today and say in this place of worship that they have never, ever failed the Lord? Who among us would stand and say that today? I won't. I don't believe you will either. None of us are worthy to serve the Lord. None of us are good enough. None of us, none of us, it's all his grace and his mercy and his love. And some here today perhaps are letting a past sin, a past failure, a past faltering hinder them in serving God afresh and anew today. O.S. Hawkins had some good words. He said, some sadly say, I've missed God's best for me. I've missed God's best. But he said, before we go off on a guilt trip like that, we ought to remember that all have missed God's best for us. He said, God's best was in the garden. And ever since the fall of man, God has been the God of the second chance. All of us have sinned. All have gone our way. All of us are in need of a second chance. What about you, dear Christian? Are you going to forever let that failure, that faltering, that disobedience, are you going to forever let that determine your future? Or are you going to allow God to allow you to serve as he desires and wills? Will you seize the second chance today? If God in his mercy says to you, here is another chance, will you take it? Or maybe for some it's a third chance or a fourth chance or a four hundredth chance. 
But as God works in your life, will you obey this time? Will you follow him this time? Will you serve him this time? Will you step out in faith this time and say, yes, Lord, I will obey you. Now, there is a delicate balance here. Now, hear me. We don't presume upon the second chance. We dare not think like this. I'm going to disobey God and I'm going to go my own way and sin. And then God will forgive me and grant me a second chance. No, friend, we don't presume upon a second chance. We're not promised it. We don't deserve it. In fact, we may not get it. Sometimes we talked about already. God judges swiftly, severely and quickly. Go back and read the stories in the Bible of Uzzah and Achan and Ananias and Sapphira. We know the Bible teaches. We've talked about this in our study so far. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He disciplines. He corrects. We don't go out saying, well, I'm going to live my own life, do my own thing. Then God will give me a second chance. No, friend. If you're contemplating a sinful direction today, beware. Beware. We've already learned from another lesson from Jonah's life. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Don't presume upon God's grace and giving a second chance. But how about it today, Christian? Is God offering you a second or third or fourth or fifth or four hundred chance today? You see, it always begins with repentance. It always begins with repentance. We turn from our sin to God. We turn from our disobedience to God. We turn from our wicked way to God. Because how can God truly use us if we're continuing in our sinful disobedience? Jonah repented in that fish belly. Now we'll learn later to repent again somewhere in the future because we find that he was not a perfect man. But there God in his mercy and grace says, you know what? I'm going to give Jonah a second chance. Have you repented today? Have you turned from your sin to the Lord? Now, if so, if God grants you a second chance, will you follow God's will and word for your life? Will you respond appropriately to God's grace? I don't know about you, but as I read those two verses, I just say, God, thank you for being the God of a second chance. I know he's been that in my life. And I think if you were honest today, you say it's been that in your life as well, Christian. But I would be remiss today if I left this place without mentioning there is one area where there is no second chance. There are no exceptions. There are no do-overs. There's no mercy and no second chance. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? I'm talking about salvation. If a person lives their life here and rejects Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity apart from God in a place called hell. There is no second chance. There is no reconsidering. There is no possibility of escape. There is no changing of his mind. The word, the verdict is final. In fact, I hesitate to end services. You know why? Because people come in 
And it could literally be the very last opportunity they ever have to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Yes, he died for you. Yes, he will forgive your sin. Yes, he'll cleanse you and give you a home in heaven. But only if you trust him. If you reject Christ and you die in your sin, you will spend eternity apart from him in the lake of fire. And there is no second chance. I want you to turn to two New Testament passages today. Look at Luke chapter 16. Look there very quickly. This is a sobering account from God's word. Luke chapter 16. We'll begin reading at verse 19. It says in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, these words. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was which laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Do you get that picture in your mind? Here's this rich man and all of his luxury and comfort eating the finest foods. Here's a man at his gate full of sores, just wanting some crumbs. It says, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It says in verse 22, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Now I want you to notice what it says about the rich man in verse 23. And in hell he lifted up his eyes. Being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now I want you to understand something. The rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. And the poor man didn't go to heaven because he was poor. It's the choices of faith they made in their lifetime. But in this parable here you have these two. Exact opposites in this life and now exact opposites in the life to come. Verse 24. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. I mean, this is what he says. Would you send him just to dip the very tip of his finger in water? Why? To cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. And Lazarus likewise evil. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, father, that thou wouldest do what? Send him to my father's house for I have five brethren. That he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. What's a person in hell desire for those that have not died yet? That they may not come to hell. What does he say to him? Verse 29. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, nay, father Abraham. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And by the way, beloved, one has rose from the dead. His name is Jesus Christ. And he says, come unto me, all you that labor and have your laden, and I will give you rest. Now, we'll look at one more passage before we're done today. Revelation chapter 20. I've been dealing with this passage, writing a paper on it for seminary. And I want to be honest with you, this is one of those sobering passages in all the word of God. I want you to read what it says here about those who will stand before God at the last 
It says in Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 11, these words. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. You have to understand very quickly. The great white throne judgment is not for believers. Believers will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and they'll be judged according to their works. Not if they're saved or not. That's settled here by grace through faith. We can receive rewards for our faithfulness. That's the judgment seat of Christ. This is the great white throne judgment. Only those who are lost stand there. Now notice what it says. I saw him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. That is those who died without Christ. I saw the dead small and great. The most Famous to the least, the most unknown, the most wealthy to the poorest, the the small and the great stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And it says in verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Fire. No second chance. Now, that does not sober you. Nothing will. We are surrounded by a people that are destined for an eternity in hellfire. And their opportunity is here. And if they reject Jesus Christ here, they will forever spend eternity in hell. No second chance. Now, what about you? Is your name in the book of life? Have you turned to Christ from your sin? Have you called out for his grace and mercy? The Bible says if we call upon him, he will save. He will pardon. He will cleanse. Do you have Christ as your Savior today? This may be your last chance. This may be it for you. And oh, can you imagine those who spend an eternity in that hellfire thinking about how many opportunities they squandered, how many gospel messages they heard, how many gospel songs they sang. How many gospel tracts they read. How many times they heard again and again and again. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. And yet they squandered and rejected him. As they burn for all eternity. God is a God of the second chance. But not when it comes to salvation. If you leave this life without Christ. You'll spend eternity in hell. Apart from him. Let's bow our head and close our eyes as we close our service today. And I wonder, where are you, friend? Nobody's looking around. Nobody's talking. You're just seated there, allowing God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to your life. Where are you today? Are you lost? Do you know Christ as your Savior? You say, well, preacher, I'm a member of the church. I didn't ask that. 
I've been baptized. I didn't ask that. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Christ alone saves. He's the Savior. Have you trusted Jesus? Do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt, if you died today and we had your funeral this afternoon, you would be in heaven? Where are you today? How about it, believer? You know you're saved, but you fail the Lord somewhere along the way. And maybe you're struggling. And, and I wonder today, have you repented of that sin? If not, why don't you come today and do that? Why don't you come and kneel and say, Lord, I don't want my sin. I want you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I, I agree with you about this sin. Would you do that today? And finally, there are some believers here today that have repented. But maybe you need to come and recommit your life to Christ. Maybe you feel like God's put you on the shelf. You need to come today and say, Lord, I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't know when you might use me, but I want to be used. I want to bring honor and glory to you. I want another chance. I'm ready to serve. I'm willing. I'm ready. Please use me. Use my life in any way you can. Use me. Is that you today? Would you come as we close our service? Father, we are humbled We are awestruck at what your word tells us. Realizing if someone leaves without Christ, there's no second chance. God, if anybody here today doesn't know you, bring them today. Lord, I pray for believers who maybe are struggling in sin. I pray today they'll come in repentance. And Lord, I pray for a believer who maybe has repented. But yet they just feel like there's no chance ever that you'll ever use them. Lord, bring them, help them, Lord, to recommit their lives to you. And Lord, use them. You used Joan in an awesome way after this. Use their lives, I pray, in the Savior's name. Amen.